Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris, Rob, and Willie, part of the Nova Insider Network. Back with a special edition podcast. It is Thursday at 10 p.m. We are less than 48 hours from the big tilt with Xavier at the Finneran Pavilion at 4.30 on Saturday afternoon. Um, Nova's most biggest game of the year again <laughs> because it's we just need one to win. after the other yeah yeah just one after the other you said it was the big tilt and i was like i think this is fine for xavier it's more for us <laughs> yeah that's correct that's correct but um so we have a special edition preview and i'd like to introduce our fan base to paul fritchner um and you might have remembered him he actually did a lot of work covering nova for the big east as Villanova's 22 team was making their run through the NCAA tournament. Uh, Paul, you were in San Antonio, right? And then you were, and then did you go to New Orleans? I did not go to New Orleans. That's right. Fellas, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I got to say, looking back at this, I did not appreciate at the time how much the full 40 meant to the Villanova program as far as playing a full 40 minutes of Villanova basketball. And hindsight being 2020, I really wish I could have nailed down Jay Wright to say that in the last interview that I did with him, given the fact he's not the coach anymore. (laughs) I feel like I let you guys down in not getting him to say that at uh, the uh, Elite Eight in, in San Antonio. But seriously, guys, thanks for having me on. You guys were a tremendous help to me in, in getting my work out to the Villanova fan base. I met a ton of Villanova people down there. I, I have a, uh, I feel like a, a Villanova connection now in my following on Twitter. So I appreciate you having me on and, and talking hoops. Well, thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. And uh, and yeah, I mean, the, 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 the name of the podcast wasn't invented out of nowhere, but I was laughing when you DM, uh, you DM me when you're like, dude, I'm talking to these players and they're saying full 40 minutes of basketball. It's like, yeah, they, that's the thing. <laughs> um, but it's, Paul, it's, it's not because they listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but despite the connection that you've now fostered with the Villanova fan base, Obviously, your first love is Xavier. Um, so you graduated from there. What year? 2019. 2019. Very nice. Um, so uh, graduated from Xavier in 2019. You've, as we know, you're a contributor of the Big East. Um, um, you you were interviewing fans at MSG last year. We have that hilarious snot video with Jimmy, <laughs> the Villanova fan. <laughs> um um, and you've done, uh, and you obviously were following the Big East teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, and you also are the host of um, the Rebound, Rebound Rundown. Run, Rebound yep. Rundown, right. Um, and so, and that covers a lot of Cincinnati sports, but you you love, you love you still love Xavier. Yeah, yeah. So basically the way I look at it is I have a full-time job here in Cincinnati. Uh, it's in a sports media company here in the city. And I was looking at it and trying to leverage some of my college basketball connections and I mean there's a lot of big programs here in Cincinnati you have Xavier Cincinnati a little north of here there's Dayton south of here there's Kentucky but there's also northern Kentucky who's been a horizon league power then you have Miami who just hired Travis Steele trying to get that back on the right 
you know, on the right track there. Ohio State a little bit up the road. Louisville, Butler, Indiana. You have uh, Wright State, too. I mean, there is a lot to talk about here just within a two-hour drive of Cincinnati. So I figured what's one way to be able to communicate that to the people around here that love it so much, especially without an NBA team? It's a college basketball area. And so it's a 10-minute podcast. It drops every morning, and uh, it's it's caught on. It's done really well this year. I'm really happy with the spot that it's at. But also in doing my work with the Big East, yes, I, I'm the in-arena host for Xavier Basketball. Obviously, my, my first following is Xavier in, as far as my connections and what I cover. But whenever the Big East asks me to do something, or if whether it's another team, whoever, I, I, I'm willing to cover it and do it. And I'm hoping that this year in March, I, I'll be there at MSG and – and wherever a Big East gets sent, uh, Big East team gets sent in March, uh, I'm, I'm hopefully we'll at least be able to cover one of them. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been a fun few years here since graduation, and only kind of keeping things moving in the right direction. Well, it only comes and the success comes because you're uh, obviously very talented. So I'm happy to see it. I love seeing the continued success. It's 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 awesome. Um, but speaking of covering Xavier, it's been an interesting several years <laughs> for the Xavier uh, for the Xavier program, and I feel like the last, as eventful as Villanova's last ten months have been, Xavier's has been kind of right there. <laughs> so, um, so why don't we just do like a quick rehash? Doesn't have to be too long winded, but just a quick rehash of the last ten months of Xavier basketball, starting with. Um, the fateful loss to Butler at the Big East tournament and kind of walk us through what happened since then. Well, sure. And I'll even give it a little more context than that. If you think about New Year's last year, if you think about where Xavier was on January 1st last year, fellas, Xavier was 11 and two overall. They were one and one in the Big East and things were looking good. They had gone 10 and one in their non-conference schedule. They opened Big East play with a home win over Marquette. And Xavier was winning at Villanova. Then Villanova rallies, wins that game, and the wheels just fell off after that. So then you get into the NC or into the Big East tournament where Xavier's winning by six with less than a minute to go in the game. And I'm sitting there with somebody else from Xavier. I'm sitting right around the Xavier contingent too. And and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, and I'm, I'm starting to see some people take deep breaths, and I'm going. I don't know if this is over yet. And it's crazy to say that with 50 seconds left in a game, you have to think that maybe this game isn't over, but it wasn't. And Xavier gave it away. They lost the game. They just always played tight in games that mattered. I don't know if it was a Travis Steele thing that he, he wasn't able to communicate effectively what he wanted the players to do. I don't know what the problem was, but there was a hangup that whenever it came down to it at the crunch time of a game, Xavier played tight. Maybe that was because Xavier knew they had to win that Butler game, probably to have a decent shot at the NCAA tournament. They hadn't been in the tournament since 2018. There were so many factors there that it just felt like if they could win that game against Butler, move on to Thursday, they could just have this weight lifted off their shoulders, and they couldn't do it. Xavier missed the NCAA tournament. They didn't. They weren't even in the 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 first four out, which tells you that not only did they not miss it, but they weren't close. So then they go. They play Cleveland State in the first round of the NIT. Xavier wins that game. Wakes up the next morning, and Travis Steele and and Xavier have parted ways. So now all of a sudden, your season is still going on. You're, granted, you're playing in the NIT, which I know is not the NCAA tournament, but your season is active, and you are searching for a new coach. So Jonas Hayes takes over. He coaches the team to an NIT championship. And oh, by the way, during that entire process, 
Sean Miller is hired as your next head coach. It's all such a the, wild month. It all of such... this is happening at the same time. It was an insane seven days in the course of the Xavier program. And the, the craziest part about the whole thing, and th this was what really I come back to every time I think about where Xavier was then and where they are now, is that if Xavier had missed on Sean Miller, because it sounded like he was at the finish line with South Carolina too, if, if Xavier hadn't made it work, if, if Sean had ended up at South Carolina instead of at Xavier, things could have been a disaster and probably would have been a disaster at Xavier because who else do you get? There were some good names like Dennis Gates, who they had just beaten in the NIT. He was a name, and look at what he's done at Missouri. right? You had Matt McMahon, who's gone down to L LSU. Look at what he's done at LSU already. There were names out there that would have been fine, but would those names really have – done what you wanted to do in replacing Travis Steele and the recruiting class that Travis had coming in, right? So you're risking all of that to then go out and get Sean Miller, which you do. And the the process that, that they have talked about in the timeline was independent of each other. That, that was Xavier's kind of official stance on it was that Xavier missed the NCAA tournament, Sean, uh, Travis and Xavier parted ways and that that was, that was the culminating factor in it. Um, but Sean Miller being available, was that a factor too? We'll never know publicly, but what, what was, was that something that played into it? You know, you'd have to think it was, but I don't right. know. I've never been told that officially publicly, whatever point is Sean is hired as your coach. And Oh, by the way, you, you're still playing games. They are still playing basketball. Sean went to New York. He was at the NIT. He recruited while he was there too, but he went to New York. I watched Sean's introductory press conference while I was sitting down in my hotel room in San Antonio covering Villanova on that run in the Sweet 16 in the Elite Eight. I went out to lunch. I came back. I watched his introductory press conference. It was the most surreal, bizarre thing that I can remember as, as, as being part of a a team, a program like that. It was just, it was unreal watching it all happen like that. So Xavier goes on, they win the NIT. And, and the one thing I will say, just to wrap up this whole point of, of Sean's hiring and how it now translates into where Xavier is at this point, is that a lot of people would say that winning the NIT doesn't really translate to the next season, right? Oh, well, people like to say that, yeah, maybe something carries over, but in the end, does it really, does it actually carry over to the next season? I think that Xavier coming together to win the NIT with the group that it had, which has now stayed together. Xavier only lost to Juan Odom from that team. Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson, they they timed Graduate, out their eligibility. Yeah, right. But but Dewan Odom was the only one that transferred and actually left the program. He went down with Jonas Hayes to to uh to to follow Jonas in his job. So you this this group has a feeling of winning together. They overcame everything. They won together. Sure, it wasn't the NCAA tournament. It was the NIT, but they won. They had that feeling of going on a winning streak. It was the first five-game winning streak. Well, they won in the non-conference. But to, to put that five-game winning streak together, have that success, come back, and now you have Sean Miller taking over as your head coach. And one after another, every player said, hey, yeah, I'm coming back. Yeah, I'm coming back. Yeah, I'm coming back. And you're going into this season, and, and that's where I'll pick it up, where – now, all of a sudden, you have Sean Miller there with this team, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, really the only thing that's changed with this team is the coach, right? You lost your best shooter. You lost one of your program's most influential players in the last seven, eight years in Paul Scruggs. He wasn't the best player, 
but he was certainly influential. He, he was a freshman with Chris Mack. He carried you through this transition. I mean, there, there were a lot of things about Paul Scruggs that maybe he wasn't the most talented guy on the floor all the time. Maybe he wasn't the guy that was the game changer at the end of a game, but he was there making a difference. You lose him, you lose Nate Johnson. But basically, you have Colby Jones, you have Jack Nungy, Zach Freeman, Adam Kunkley, all these familiar names that you have back, Jerome Hunter. You get two freshmen, Desmond Claude and 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 uh, and Cam Kraft, and then you bring in an unknown transfer in Sule Boom. But you're basically rolling the ball out there with the same product and Sean Miller. And now look at where they are and how much a head coach can make a difference. And just this this feeling of success. Xavier knows right now that they can win a game. They can win a close game. They can win in, in different styles that maybe they didn't a month ago. And I think that's where this Xavier program right now is so energized, both the fans, the team, everything. And I mean, yeah. to be to be clear, like Sean Miller is a, no offense to Travis Steele, but Sean Miller is a, a proven winner. Like that is a huge upgrade at the coach, like at arguably the, the most important position on a team, right? Like that is... I think pretty much any team in America would say, Hey, if I'm upgrading from Travis Steele and Sean Miller's available, I'll take that 10 days out of 10. Like that's terrific. Well, and I think the other thing too, Rob, that is most important to me with all of this is that Sean Miller and Xavier's career goals align. Neither one of them have made a final four, right? Xavier has never made a final four in program history. Sean Miller, he's gotten there. He's been to the Elite Eight, what, I think three, four times, at least three, at least least three, yeah. Yeah. At least three, if not four times. I think it's four. But they've, neither one of them have ever crossed that finish line to the final four. And And, it was, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. It was interesting because when Sean Miller left to go to Arizona, you, you, you felt like, okay, this was a massive step up, right? He's going from, what was, I mean, the A-10 at the time of Xavier's kind of reign of it was a multi-bid conference, but it was like the 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 closest to a major that a mid-major was, right? And so he jumps to Arizona, which is like kind of over the last 25 years, top 10 program, right? Like, and so he jumps up to that and he doesn't get quite there, but he's got, he's had those elite eight runs, et cetera. Now he comes back. And Xavier's in the Big East and has competed, has gotten a one seed, has gotten a two seed, has made it to the Elite Eight, right? Like they have had now program success and the sustainability of that success feels a lot higher, like the floor of Xavier's program. Like, and that's not to say anything bad about the program before, but to say the floor of Xavier's program is elevated by conference affiliation and by the way Xavier had performed, especially under Chris Mack. So now he's coming back thinking Xavier is worth it because now I can make a final four at Xavier. I think you're exactly right because, and it is four elite eights that Sean's been to. I just double checked on that, but I, I think you're, you, you hit the nail on the head because if you think back to where Sean was when he was at Xavier the first time, back in 2008, Sean lost to UCLA with Xavier in the elite eight. That UCLA team had Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook. And I think Sean looked at that and he came back to Xavier for one more year. And that was when Xavier lost in the sweet 16 the next year. But I think Sean looked at that UCLA team and he thought to himself, I can't do this at Xavier. I can't beat Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook at Xavier in the Atlantic 10. I can get there, but I can't beat them. Right. I can go to Arizona and beat them. 
Now, he never got to the Final Four at Arizona, but that's the thinking. You take the step up in the program. You go out there to Arizona. You try to get that done at such a premier program. But now, look at what Xavier's done since he's been there. They've renovated the Cintas Center. It looks beautiful. And even down, and, and it was funny that he even mentioned this, even down to the Jumbotron in the arena. So many things, he, you know, he, he, he talks about, Back when when he was there before, talking about the old Lightbright, and now it's one of the biggest jumbotrons that you'll find in the country. And how much I, I don't mean that a coach is coming back because of a screen that fans look at during a game, but as a microcosm of what Xavier has done to upgrade their facilities and show they have now two practice gyms, one of the best weight rooms in the country. They've completely renovated the inside of the Cintas Centers uh, underneath where the locker rooms are for an entirely um but unique training facility so many things that when he came back and saw all of this your eyes are just wide open and you're thinking to yourself oh my goodness not only do i have these facilities but i have the big east which is completely centered on winning basketball games mm-hmm. right yeah. going to msg winning the big east tournament so many things that are appealing that going to atlantic city in the a10 you know and playing on a wednesday afternoon just isn't all that exciting in march yeah, no. And so and so it's awesome that he's come back. I mean, you, you look at what I mean, look, obviously, Jay Wright leaves the Big East, but you look at the coaching that has come into the Big East, that Mata, Sean Miller, uh, I'm drawing blanks, but just et cetera. That has Patrick come the, Ewing. <laughs> over the last over the last couple of years. And this conference has a lot of zip when it comes to coaching. Um, and I think the cell that basketball is king is a is a massive sell to some of these coaches. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the players that came in because we know the returners, right? The Jack Nungies of the world, the Adam Kunkels of the world. Let's talk a little bit about, obviously, uh, Sule Boom is kind of the the big name. Talk about, walk, walk me through a little bit of, of that transfer and what he's meant to this team so far. Sure. So, so Sule, in my opinion, um, He's not just one of the best transfers in the conference. I think he's one of the best transfers in the country. And the question mark coming into the season with Sule was, could his size translate to the Big East? Sule has been all over in his career. He started his career at San Francisco. Then he played three years at UTEP. And now he's here at Xavier. And Sean Miller at Arizona played against UTEP and played Sule. And he said, I want that guy. So he went out and got him when Sule became available. And, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, I mean, you know, he's, he, he's, he's not that tall. I don't know what he's listed at, but he, he's not that tall. Whatever he's listed at is way you're, too generous. You're, you're taller than him, Paul. They got him at 6'3". Yeah. I don't buy it. Okay, so I'm going to tell you one thing right now, Willie. I am 6'3", yeah. and I can see clear over his head, okay? <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, he might be 6'3", with, with inserts on top of the, the Nikes that he's already wearing. So, there's no way. And whatever his weight is listed at, it's probably 30 pounds too gener- generous, too. So, he's, he's not physically intimidating. But, man, does he just make the right play. And what he is also is a true point guard, which is exactly what Xavier has been missing over the last couple of years, where you just need somebody to guide the offense the right way. He's He is aggressive. He makes the right play. He makes good decisions. He wants the ball. And that's what Xavier, combined with the point guard 
has really needed is somebody that when a moment comes, when they need a shot, when they need somebody to step up, when it comes down in crunch time of the game, who can Xavier look to to either make the shot or make the right pass, make the right play, not collapse in a big moment? Sule has been that guy for Xavier this year. Yeah. And, and just to kind of oh, go, just to kind of build off of that. So something that I've been thinking about uh, uh, comparing Xavier from this year to last year was the difference in the point guard, difference between Scruggs and Sule Boo. And Xavier, I think, is what Ken Palm top ten, top fifteen offense. I can't remember what the number is. Uh, yeah, now, like, they've been hovering mm, around. Yeah, yeah, and then they're shooting the third best in the country from the three point land. And that's which is a stark difference from last year when I don't know what you were ranked, but you were shooting like 32 percent. It's around 40 percent right now. What do you think from an offensive standpoint has changed? Is it just Sule Boom or is it the efficiency that Colby Jones has grown? I mean, Colby Jones has taken another week. If we want to talk about returners, it's he was already a fringe draft pick. And now he's taken another leap and has become more efficient, has become a better passer, better scorer across the board. The offense has just reached another level. And I'm very curious is that Miller? Is that the pieces? Is it a combination of both? I think it's Miller because the pieces were there. And I think it's Miller because the shot selection is so much different. You look at last year, you the three-point percentage is going up because the right people are taking the threes. You look at last year and you look at what Zach Fremantle and Jerome Hunter did from three last year. Zach last year took 46 threes on the season. He was 12 for 46. This year, he's six for 10. from three, six for 10 though. That's a small sample size. He's not taking that many. And when he needs to take one, he can step out and hit it. He hit one the other day. His foot was on the line. It only counted as a two, but again, Zach's only taken maybe, I mean, that's, that's less than one a game. Whereas last year you're talking about over one per game. And the other one, Jerome Hunter, Jerome Hunter last year, he's taken 66 threes. He was 14 for 66 last year, this year he's 0 for one. He's only taken one three this year. So the difference in the players that are taking the shots is why that three-point percentage is so much higher because the right guys are getting open and taking the shots that need to be shooting from beyond the arc. I mean, Xavier's offense is unreal. You guys have hung up 85, 90, 100 on, it seems like, every other game. Um, So the offense has been a blur. Uh, this year and and look the record stands to show right like 12 and 3 you have losses uh to indiana which was man that was a tough game but then but but held it real close to duke and gonzaga in portland um and other than that just winning everything and and blowing a few teams out including last the last game that you guys had blow out um connecticut by 10 or pull away from connecticut by 10 um, down the stretch in the Sintas Center, which was the best win of the season, arguably, um, that anybody's had all year. So, uh, so you, you, you look at that and you say, wow, this offense is difference making and the three point shooting is unreal. It seems like everything's going going right. I guess my question for you is, is where does the defense stand as as this season has progressed, it's gotten a little bit better, but that feels like it's like the weakness of this team. Oh, it's absolutely the weakness of this team. I mean, Xavier's ninth in the country offensively, but they're, I think, 82nd defensively or something around there. Um, 82nd, yeah, defensively. And that's just not going to get the job done down the stretch. Um, But I will say that I've seen strides 
defensively. Xavier has started to to feel like when they've needed to get a stop, when they've needed a lockdown, they can. Now, do I think that this Xavier team is also just going to have the MO where we're going to outscore you? Yeah. That that's how this Xavier team is going to is going to operate. They're just going to go out and try to outscore you. But Sean Miller talked about after um I think it was after the UConn game. It, it was after the UConn game. He 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 talked about how he felt like this Xavier team right now is in a different place than they were against Indiana or against Gonzaga or against Duke, that now they can win the game, the close game, the tight one, that they couldn't win even a month or a month and a half, month ago, whatever it might be, because they've grown, they've connected, they ha- they're starting to build that chemistry. He said he can really see it developing, that they weren't ready to win that game against Indiana, that it came down to it, it was close but they couldn't get the stop when they needed to. They couldn't convert at the end when they needed to look at that Gonzaga game. Xavier was winning by five with about six minutes left in that Gonzaga game. Gonzaga goes on a 10 0 run. They, they let it slip away. They lose against Duke. Jack Nunji has probably the worst game he's had in a Xavier uniform. They just can't ever get over the hump against Duke. They, they scored a few times down the stretch, but they could never get the stop. And that was what hurt Xavier. So now you're starting to see you look back at that Seton Hall win for Xavier a, a couple weeks ago. 73 to 70. They got the stop at the end of the game when they needed to. St. John, Xavier's winning by double digits. It gets down to a close game. You're not getting the stops. But then all of a sudden, when it gets down into a five, six point game with about a minute left, Xavier hits their free throws. They come up with a stop right there at the end. And against UConn, it was tied at 71 with less than four minutes left. And Xavier goes on a 12-2 run to end the game. So you're starting to see the defense lock it down when it matters. Um, I don't necessarily think that they're doing anything strategically all that different. There are a few things that little things to nitpick here and there that I, I don't need to necessarily, you know, get into too much of the X's and O's about with just, you know, ha- how they're handling different things. But I think overall the, the, the bigger point is just that this team is very clearly growing together. Is there anyone who on the team that was kind of the recurring members of the team? Is there anyone who has stepped up their game dramatically or is it all kind of just team oriented? Jerome Hunter. I mean, Jerome Hunter is an entirely different player than he was last year. And I don't even necessarily mean skill. I mean, the way he's being used on the team right now, I already mentioned the threes, but he's only taken one three this year, but he's defending when he needs to. And he has the size because Xavier's not deep. They really only play about six deep. Jerome's the sixth man. Des Claude comes off the bench, but even he hasn't been consistently reliable in in long stretches of time. Xavier goes to Jerome Hunter off the bench bench when Jack Nunji or Zach Fremantle need a break. And he's gone down there into the post and been able to defend at a high level. He rebounds at an extremely high level. His effort is good. He takes smart shots and he converts at the free throw line. And Xavier's forever struggled i don't know what it is xavier fans love screaming about making your free throws i don't know what it is about xavier at the free throw line that for a long time xavier just couldn't make free throws but you look at that yukon game drome was nine for nine from the line at the and and it's just it goes to show that he has transformed himself and he talked about having a conversation with sean miller before the season and saying I need to go in there. I, I talked to one of the Xavier beat writers, Adam Baum, about this the other day on my podcast, and he said, 
Jerome sat down with Sean before the season, and Sean laid out a, a pretty clear list of expectations. Here's what you need to do to be able to earn yourself a consistent role this year. And he's done that. He's checked all the boxes. And he has completely transformed the ceiling of this team, in my opinion, to have somebody to go to off the bench to give you those 15 or 20 minutes. Jerome has completely changed the dynamic and the ceiling of what this Xavier team can do. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking around through the statistics and it's hard to pick a weakness in the offense. Um, you shoot the free throw decently well. It's not it's not top notch, but it's decently well. The three point shooting is, is is unreal. You guys play at a really, really, really fast tempo. Top, top 25 Ken Palm in terms of uh, in terms of tempo. Uh, is there an offensive weakness on this team? Um, like, how would you game plan it? You know, I, that's a good question because you talk about the tempo, the styles are so different, right? Um, and look at how well Eric Dixon has played uh, this year and how consistent he's been. Um, the game plan, especially when you're looking at, at Villanova and the size that they have, um, or that, that Xavier has and going up against each other. Um, do we know, I have not seen today. I've been pretty busy today. Any update on what happened with Longino? I have been asking around, I, I look, looking at it on the floor, it looked like, oh my God, he might not play again this year. The, there was a lot more optimism around the program kind of following the game. I am not convinced that we're going to see him on Saturday, but but it seems like it might not be the the absolute worst. Yeah, so, from what I can gather, that's what I would say. I doubt we see him play Saturday, but it didn't seem to be the terrible knee injury that it looked like it was. It may have been a hamstring, just from a speculation standpoint. But he won't. I would be shocked to see him play on Saturday. Yeah, so when you look at it from Xavier's perspective and playing Villanova, or I guess the, the the flip side, if you're Villanova to try and game plan against this Xavier team, I'm wondering if if Villanova is able to get this game to the tempo that they want and, and slow it down and slow the pace down. Xavier hasn't really played. I'm trying to think back. May I, I'm saying this. I, I can't think. Yeah, sure. I have it. I have it up. You have played two games under 70 possessions. Two. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, and one is Montana, so they okay. weren't that good. Um, and the other is Duke, which was your biggest loss on the season. And it was also vastly the worst offensive performance of the season. Yeah. So, so if you think about it, you have to wonder, all right, if Villanova can slow it down and Xavier tries to speed it up, the Xavier trip over themselves, make some mistakes, try to hurry it too much, turn the ball over, um, those kinds of things. That from from an overall perspective, um, those are those are a couple of little points I would look at. And Willie, I want to make a point here because I Willie, I think it was you that said this at the beginning of the show. And I don't remember for sure, but one of you said, "Well, for Villanova, it's a huge game. For Xavier, you know, I don't know." I don't know if you guys understand or appreciate or, or know, and I'm not trying to slight you guys if, if you do. I don't know if you guys know or appreciate how much this game at Villanova means to the Xavier fan base community program. Do you, do you guys, do you guys, guys haven't won definitely not. Thin, yeah. and you've gotten is, blown out a lot. <laughs> Xavier. Okay. So let me, let me, Take the annual a little, let me take you, let me take you through yeah. the time machine here. 
Do you think back to all of just the miserable performances that Xavier has gone through in Philadelphia? They're 0 for 8 since joining the Big East in Philadelphia. They didn't play, um, was it last year or the year before? They, there, there was one year they didn't make the trip. I think it was the COVID um, year. Yeah, yeah didn't COVID make year. the trip. But Xavier has never been able to get over the hump. And last year you're thinking, oh, man, when Dewan Odom threw that ball off the backboard, he was looking for a pass from the top of the key and he throws it to the, to the rim and it goes off the backboard and in, I remember texting some of my, my uh, guys that I'm talking to about the game. And I'm thinking, is Xavier really going to do this? Like those are the kinds of lucky things that never happen when you go to Villanova, you think back all the way back to 2015, I think it was new year's Eve when um, Edmund Sumner got hurt so badly. On oh, the court yeah. at that Villanova, was horrible. And that game just turned into a blowout. I mean, yep. there, there have been, it's been a house of horrors for Xavier that every year when the schedule comes out, you circle that game and you just say, there's the Villanova ass kicking and you move on. You just, you don't think about it. You, you just yep. you circle it, you move on. And every year you think to yourself, well, you know, maybe there's a chance that like things ball bounces the right way. You know, you never know. And it just never does. It never does. It never does. And so this game every year is a game. It, it's probably the, biggest road game for Xavier fans every year that they look at and they say, you know, maybe there's other games that are more, but going to Gamble, I think it's a Gamble this year, going to Gamble for the resume, definitely more important. Going to Providence, looking like probably going to end up being more important. I mean, right now that game on, I think March 1st for Xavier at Providence could end up being for the Big East Championship. Who knows? I'm just throwing it out there. Like there are games, away games left on Xavier's schedule in the Big East that resume-wise probably mean a lot more than this. But I would find it hard to find a Xavier fan that would trade any win left on the Big East schedule than this win at Villanova on Saturday. I know it's not the Villanova of old. I get that. But it doesn't matter. There have been so many miserable afternoons and nights that Xavier fans have sat down on their couch and gotten their hopes up to watch the Musketeers play at the Wildcats and within five minutes, the game is over. And, and you know, uh. it, 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 getting Sean Miller back and the team that Xavier has this year, beating UConn on an eight-game winning streak. I'm not – I did pick Xavier to win this game. I picked it before the season. We go through and we pick every game on the, on the schedule. In the last two years, I picked Xavier to win. Last year, I thought I was the smartest guy in the room, and then – it was a classic game at Villanova. This year, I picked it again. We'll see if it, we'll see if it happens. But I'm just trying to put it in context for Villanova fans that are looking at this as definitely a, a resume win that Villanova really needs at home. I mean, this is a game that I hate not to get on a tangent here on my soapbox, but my least favorite term in sports outside of unbelievable that broadcasters say because it's, it is believable. You just watched it happen. I hate the must win because – Villanova's season is not over if they lose yep. this game. It is This is not a must-win game. A must-win means you're going to have to win in the NCAA tournament. That's a must-win game or a, or a game in March. This game, if Villanova loses this game, Wildcats' season is not over. Look at how many games are left on their resume that they could win to put themselves in position. But this is a game that Villanova really, really needs. And I know they've gone through injury issues. I thought, and let's put it in perspective, when you're talking about a cynical brain here, looking at this from a Xavier perspective, 
I saw that headline about Justin Moore last week, and I'm going, oh, yeah, 100%. That's his game back. Like, circle it on the calendar. He's coming back, and he's dropping 25. There's no doubt in my mind. That's what Xavier <laughs> fans process when they go to Villanova. That's amazing context that I had not considered. I, In my head, it just lived in a vacuum of, like, all right, the resume game is super important for us, not as important for Xavier. But I have to check my privilege. I forgot about the ass kickings over the last eight years that would lead to the Xavier fans having this be an appointment game. And I mean, I hope, I hope we disappoint them again. (laughs) (laughs) Villanova fans are like so wrapped up in their own team, in our own team right now. We're usually like as a fan base, we've been like in good enough position in most years to be able to like pick our heads up a little bit and look around and see what's going on and what have you. We've been so insular. Um, when you're when you're not in the top 20 15 you know in the country and you don't have a resume you feel like you just have to focus on your house like everything yep. else around you just like falls away and you don't think about it i'm just like well xavier doesn't need this game they just beat uconn so like yeah you know, it's easy to kind of go down that path but i totally get that monkey off the back kind of thought process uh, that's going on um I, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take 30 seconds here. I'm gonna read you something because there is a phenomenal yeah. poster who is a, a very close, I would say, friend of mine that posts on one of Xavier's message board that um, a couple of days ago posted a thread, and it started off with these six or seven bullet points. This is just talking about Vil- Xavier games at Villanova. Villanova's average margin of victory in those games is 19.4 points. Villanova has shot 39% from three. Xavier has shot 26%. Villanova made 11 or more threes in five of the eight games. Xavier has never made more than seven at the pavilion. Only one of those eight games that Xavier has played in Villanova was within single digits at the end of the game. And three of the eight games, Xavier never even had a lead. Last year's game where Xavier led 41, or sorry, got outscored 41 to 20 in the second half um, after Dewan banked in that alley-oop three, Xavier was leading by 10. And it was the only time in those eight losses at Villanova that Xavier had a greater than 50% chance on Ken Palm to win the game. And it was also the only time in those eight games that Xavier had a second half lead and they didn't even lead after the under 16 timeout. So I am just putting into context for you how poorly Xavier plays at Villanova and how much a win like this means to this fan base so I, I really hope, i hope that conveys it to you I, oh you got it i got it but i really hope that you guys overlook us like i really need you guys <laughs> to overlook us i really need this to be a trap game for you guys okay like, we're, we're think about the say, little guy yeah yeah think about think about the little guy for once like let us get a couple wins like we're just a nice little program outside of philadelphia and we're trying to just pick up a few wins this season okay a plucky underdog that, you know, just needs to get out there and try and make the NCAA tournament this year, 54th on Ken Palm. Yeah, you know, it we got much, it. But it's an honest day's work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess, I guess, look, I, when we, on our podcast, we said very briefly, we did a very minor preview, but like we said, hey, you know, we got to slow this down, right? Like it, th- that's kind of like the obvious. That being said, Villanova's, two best athletes on the team, three best athletes on the team, candidly, if you include Slater, but you have Armstrong, you have, um, you have Whitmore and you have Slater 
those guys are better in transition. So Villanova is kind of, I feel like one of the issues and problems issues with this, with this team right now is that there's a disconnect in terms of which tempo best suits this particular roster. So like the, those guys want to get up and down. They want to get a steal. They want to jump a passing lane. They want to get out in transition. They want a long rebound. They want to go. Right. But that's not like what Villanova does. So that's been a, a difficult thing to manage. So, and I don't want to get into a transition running game against you guys in the slightest. So discipline game plan, discipline is going to be so paramount, but the other side to that coin is that you stay to that discipline. You might be running into a situation in which you're not featuring your two or three of your best athletes in the game as much. I, I guess I'm just trying to figure that out and like to figure out how does Villanova attack Xavier I, I, on the offensive end, given that you guys on the defensive end are weaker, where do you think the holes are in oh, particular? I, you know, it's, it's, a oh, that's a good question. It's a really good question. And, and it's hard to find right now. It's as simple as that sounds. It's hard sorry. I mean, sorry. I just clarify your defense. I want to say your defense. Where are the holes on your defense? Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, that was poorly worded. No, I got but... it. I, no, I got it. Uh, defensively, there. Let me let me think of how how I want to put this because Xavier's got issues, right? They the perimeter. They can't defend the perimeter very well at all. They give up a lot of open threes, which makes me concerned. I mean, they're one of the worst teams in the country at defending the perimeter, and they give up a lot of open threes, and, and the opponents make a lot of threes against them. And it goes back to the stats that I just listed off. How many threes does Villanova hit against Xavier at the pavilion? So that's something that I'm looking at, too, is how does the, how does the guard play rotate? How does the perimeter get out there and defend? Um, there have been times when Xavier, you know, depending on how the bigs are are doing, you know, Jack Nunji has has played well, I would say, defensively. But there have been times where you think, okay, well, you know, does an Eric Dixon have some success, you know? Um, but Jerome Hunter has been able to slide in there and and do things better. I I really think it's been on the on the outside where Xavier has had its lapses defensively and it has just turned into issues um as teams make shots and they get worn down because on the interior Xavier's much better they have the big bodies they have Zach Fremantle they have Jack Nunji and off the bench I've said it a million times they have Hunter so if this game gets into a position where Villanova can knock down threes um which has been a, a trademark of Villanova forever um I know they're not necessarily you know kind of middle of the road this year in, in that aspect of it but um you, you're probably looking back at that same stat that i read off where can villanova make 10 or 11 threes in this game and make xavier get out and, and try and guard out there and stretch it out let dixon go to work in the post gotcha yep cool um paul from your standpoint anything that we haven't asked about that you would have said Hey guys, this Xavier thing, like, why, why didn't you ask about this? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think because I've hit on most of it when you look at just the overall context of this program and where Sean Miller has it right now and the accountability. Um, 
I think the depth is an issue for Xavier that could crop up as the season goes along. I'd like to see Cam Kraft start to get some minutes at some point. I'm not asking because I think necessarily that he deserves the minutes. I just think that it would be good for Xavier's depth if he got minutes. I don't think he deserves the minutes right now. I think he it, it, the game is just moving too fast for him as a freshman. I think he's maybe a little undersized. Um, it, it just it's a freshman thing, right? But yeah, as, I said, get the freshman minutes as best as you can, but it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it's just tough to find the minutes for him right now as opposed to a guy like Desmond Claude who looks like he's built as a, as an upperclassman already, just came in with that college-ready body. Um, but but outside of that, you know, when you when you look at all this that we've talked about with Xavier, I really think that having the time off has been huge. Colby Jones um, was sick before Christmas, um, and Jack Nungy was – very sick with food poisoning against uh, UConn. It, Jack Nungy was asleep 30 minutes before tip-off against UConn. He was sleeping before the game. And they didn't even know if he was going to be able to go out there and play, and he gave him 24 minutes. And defensively, it was probably one of the reasons why they – not probably, he was. The reason why they won the game, to be able to go up against Klingon and Sonogo. Klingon only had four points. Sonogo had 18, but it wasn't all that efficient. So I, I think just the way that Xavier – has been able to have a week off. They are going into this rested. They know what's at stake here. You have an eight-game winning streak. You have a chance to go to 5-0 and in the Big East. It's the first time that Xavier's ever started 4-0 in the Big East, much less to go to 5-0. and And this is probably the most important stretch of the, the season remaining for Xavier because you have Connecticut at home, you have Villanova on the road, and then you come back home and you play Creighton and Marquette before you have DePaul and Georgetown. So – Villain, UConn, Nova, Creighton, Marquette, back to back to back to back is a huge, huge stretch in this season where Xavier can at least go two and two, if not three and one. I mean, four and oh would obviously be unreal, but you go two and two, three and one in that stretch, and you're feeling really good about yourself and you're already one and oh. So um, if they win this game against Villanova, I don't know if you'll be able to contain the Xavier fan base. I think the expectations. <laughs> for this team and the ceiling for this team. If they win this game, forget about the struggles Villanova's had. Forget that, forget that this is not the Villanova team of old. Forget that they've had injury issues. Forget all that. It doesn't matter. This Villanova team could be Georgetown this year. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not kidding. That's what this win means to this fan base. This, this Villanova team could be Georgetown. It could say Villanova on the front of their jerseys and it wouldn't matter. It would, it would skyrocket the expectations for this season and Villanova is not Georgetown. They're a very good team that I'm going to ask you guys, does Villanova make the NCAA tournament this year? I think this game is the, my, my barometer. If we lose this game, I might go ahead and say, no, if we win, I think we're talking. I'm saying no is my vote. Yeah. Here's the deal. I'm not ready to commit to a no. I'm like a believer until I I can't anymore. Like, if do you we, think they're more likely to win the national title <laughs> than the Arctic tournament? That is a that was a Chris long term. At the, that um, is that was said on a private text message thread, and <laughs> and that is not fair to bring up. Uh, that was before the season and a public podcast. But hey, yeah. but the the here's the deal: if Villanova loses this game, which I think is obviously very reasonable to expect. Um, Ken Palm actually has this as a literal coin flip. Um, but if Villanova loses this game, Villanova has to go 5-0 and for the rest of January, um, which includes 
yeah, you play at DePaul and Georgetown at home, those two, and St. John's doesn't look good, and you play St. John's and MSG where Villanova turns out pretty well, and so it's not that's not a terrible away game. But you still have to play at Butler and home versus Providence. And Providence, uh, as they evidenced last night versus UConn, is an absolute wagon right now. And so, and so I don't, I'm not looking forward to that game either. But Villanova has to find home wins. Like you can't go and drop Marquette at home, Xavier at home, Providence at home. Yeah, all three are tournament teams. None of them are, none of those are bad losses. But you can't go 0 and 3 in that stretch and then expect to show up in February and win everything to make their way into the at into an at-large bit. You can't do it. So, so based on Villanova's current resume, they have to win at least one of Xavier and Providence and then have to go into Hinkle and beat Butler, which right now is a would be a quad one win. I don't think it'll stay there, but like right now would be a quad one win if you win at Hinkle. So it is a there's a lot. It, this was kind of like supposed to be the easy stretch on Villanova's schedule, and it's anything but. Yeah. So so I, I'm gonna go with yes because I do think that Villanova finds a way over the course of this month to 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 kind of get their footing and get themselves back under them and kind of be Villanova in quotes, um, albeit maybe a, a poorer version of it, but still kind of have that demonstrate that culture and get those culture or program wins, stuff like that. But but it it, it all rides on this. Um and then finding ways to win opportunities in February. Does Justin Moore play this year? Oh, <sighs> oh yeah, million dollar question. Yeah, this is the million dollar question. Um I still believe that he will play. Um, the 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 most recent article that came out basically said, I might play, I might not, which was a direct quote from him. Then that launched all different types of speculation on the Villanova uh, Twitter space and fan boards and, and whatever, basically to say, oh, I wouldn't blame him if he doesn't play because the team hasn't played well. Well, there's no way that Justin Moore, a competitor, is thinking that way. If he's yeah. if he's not going to play, it's because he's not mentally ready to play, and there's other reasons why he's worried about playing, right? Like that's the only reason why he doesn't play. He's not playing because the team has been bad, and so like, well, fuck it. What does it matter if I play? Like, there's no way. Like he is so competitive. He's thinking to himself, one of the reasons why I want to play. This is my belief. One of the reasons why. I he might want to play is so that he could put the team on his back and go ride this team to the NCAA tournament. There's no way that his thought process is, well, fuck it. I don't know. What, what does it matter to me? I I'm, I'm good. Like they, they suck. So I'm not going to go join them. Like that's not what his thought process is. But that being said, he is struggling with the mental aspect of, of coming back. And there was a whole article on the athletic today, which was excellent. Um, about how Kevin Durant spoke to um, spoke to Justin Moore when he hurt himself and said, hey, this is going to be you're going to get you're going to heal. You're going to be OK to play basketball. The hardest thing that you're going to have to overcome is the mental aspect. And that's where he's at now. He's a full participant in practice. Um, he's in contact drills. He's running five on fives. He's doing everything so he can play. Um, but he's not yet as of we sitting here on Thursday night, he's not mentally there. 
I believe that he's going to play, and I think that the target that I had early in the season, which was to say I think MLK Day, Georgetown and MLK Day, is kind of like a good target. Um, I still think that's my timeline as to when he will suit up for the first time. It could happen now, this game, but we have heard no noise, and I feel like we've heard it. We would have heard it already. To my extremely scientific opinion, he posted on Instagram today a picture of himself in uh, like full uniform uh, or like warm up uniform. So he's playing tomorrow or Saturday. So that's that's why. Well, that's what. No, there there is no doubt in my mind he's playing on Saturday. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind. You know, I I will say though on a serious note about it. That, he got hurt about 10 feet away from me uh, when we were down and when I was down in, in San Antonio, I was sitting right next to where he got hurt. Um, and when he went down the look on his face, the look on the rest of the team's face, it was such a, it was such a bizarre situation because as a team, you have to celebrate the fact that it you was just so made, weird. You have to celebrate the fact that you made the final four, right? I mean, that's, that's your goal as a team. You, you want to play for a championship and now you're two games away from playing for that. But at the same time, I mean, it, it happens in the second half. And now all of a sudden you have to celebrate. But at the same time, you're you're over there consoling maybe your best player on the bench that you, you knew you, you, you could just get the sense that from the tears that were streaming down his face and then just the, the look that his season was probably over. And you're thinking to yourself, is his Villanova career? I mean, you just didn't know at the time. And, and it was such a, a, a bizarre situation watching the team have to handle all of that and and credit to them for how they did it and credit to Justin Moore for how hard he's worked to be able to get back and even put himself in this situation I just really hope he plays for himself for Villanova for the good of the Big East I just hope he gets back I'd love to see him play I'd love to see him carry Villanova into the tournament it's great for the conference um but you know maybe if he wait like it's all right man you could just wait just wait four more days like it's all right don't rush it back we nobody needs to see you get hurt again. Just take your time. You can wait four days. That's all I'm saying. I appreciate I am, that. I Completely here, unbiased advice. I'm here for you, Justin. I'm looking out for you and for your well-being and for every Villanova fan that doesn't want you to get hurt again. Just give it four days. The reality of the situation is if he does play, I can't imagine a situation in which he's going out there and playing 20 minutes. Right? Like, oh. like he's gonna yeah. play. If he plays, he'll be suit up and it'll be like this moment where he comes onto the court and he's gonna play like five minutes. Right. Maybe. Like, and, and maybe, and that's and not even, not even in one stretch, like one, one timeout to another timeout. And that's going to be it. And then maybe do that again in the second half. That's going to be it. And it's going to work up from there. It's going to go from five to like eight to like 12. till like maybe end of maybe beginning of February. Is he actually like playing minutes that is, that is super meaningful um, for the team. Yeah. But the good news for that, MLK thing that I mentioned before is that we played Georgetown on MLK day. We played St. John's that Friday. And then we have an eight game, eight day layoff um, before we play Providence at home. So it's close. Like you always look for home games. You look for maybe games that you think that you have a better chance of winning. Um, and then you look for games in which he might be able to get a break in between. So like, that's why I've been targeting this, but I don't know. I I, I would love if it, if it, if it starts, on Saturday, I don't think I don't think you're going to get much from him other than an emotional lift to everybody else in the team. Sure, yeah, I doubt. I I, I doubt it too. I mean, you're talking about being less than a year removed. I mean, granted, MLK Day would be the same way, but 
you're talking about, I mean, just relatively so close to being removed from tearing your Achilles that, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can't see him rushing it back, but we'll see. Who knows? Yep. All right, Paul, I got to say, thank you so much for, for your time here. This was, this was awesome. And, and I love the background on Xavier and I, I will admit that. And I said this to these guys that I, that like Xavier's, especially because of their fan base. I I, I love the Xavier fan base. So uh, interacting with them and you guys and you on Twitter is, is, is awesome. So like, you know, there's doing that, like you, you start to develop some soft spots. So Xavier is definitely on my soft spots uh, list. And that includes the fact that you guys had JP Makura for, for, for like <laughs> four years. And I had to deal with watching him play basketball. And I still love, I still love Xavier. Well, but, yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say thanks to you guys uh, for bringing me on. And and like I said, you guys were so huge with me last year. And and now being out of Xavier, like, yes, yeah, sure, obviously, I, I, I work I'm for – I don't work directly for Xavier, right, as a full-time job. I'm with somebody else. But, you know, I, I do a lot of Xavier games. Like I said, I'm the in-arena host for the, for the men's games. I get all that. I understand all of that. But now being out of school – I've really tried to branch out, do more things with the Big East, cover other teams, grow my audience outside of just the specific Xavier fan base, because I'd like to be able to do that as a whole, to be able to grow and, and, and to cover the Big East as a whole. And you guys, you yourselves at, at Full 40 were a massive, massive part of that for helping me grow within the Villanova fan base last year when I was doing that work down in San Antonio. And you, I mean, to be quite honest, guys, you really made that trip worth it for me to be able to go down there and reach and, and to get um, the, you know, the social media traction that I did that week. So uh, Villanova likewise has a very soft spot in my heart. I love Villanova and to um, Ryan Fannin, your radio broadcaster is one of my closest broadcasting connections. Ryan is a Northern Virginia guy. I grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside DC. Um, I knew Ryan way back when back five, six years ago, then that he and I have, have caught up even from my time in, in summer ball um, over the summer when he showed up one time and I met him out in Northern Virginia and, and he, he and I are always very close. I talked to him for a while out in Portland. I, every time Xavier plays each other and we see him, whether it's Madison square garden, it doesn't matter. I, I, I truly, you know, I appreciate you guys and, and all the Villanova fans that have followed me on Twitter and, and followed along with everything. So um, yeah, likewise to you and thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks. I do hope that Ryan Fannin saying "cats win, cats win, cats win" at the end of the uh, at the end of the game on Saturday. But but good luck. Uh, thanks again, Paul, for coming on and uh, and for our and for our listeners. We'll be back after the Xavier game with a recap um, and a preview of of a quote unquote easier but very important week to come after um, where Villanova cannot trip up as we continue on our January schedule. Um, thank you everybody for listening. And as always, let's go Nova.